You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Dave Wakeman. And Dave is known as the Revenue Architect. Uh, We're going to talk to him about his work with companies around looking at revenue, around the strategy behind revenue, how to generate more of it, how to generate the right type of it. Uh, And I'm excited about this. I know that most of our listeners uh, going through this growth phase, finding more revenue is key uh, to developing and growing the business. So I'm excited for this conversation. With that, Dave, welcome to the program. Oh, Bruce, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk. Yeah. So um, I always like to start with learning a little bit more about the guest's background. So I'd love to hear a little bit about where, where you started professionally, kind of the experiences you've had, and then we can talk a little bit about the work that you're doing now on the revenue side of sort of the business equation. Yeah, no, this is, uh, I think this might actually help people too. I usually am very reluctant to talk about myself, but you kind of have to do that if you're in marketing. Um, I started out in nightclubs back in the um, mid 90s. Yeah. And the first lesson I had in marketing and revenue generation was how do you increase the check average for a nightclub? And I am only bringing the story up. That is great. Informed. Oh, no, this, yeah. this informs everything yeah. I've ever known. Was the que- the question was when somebody came in, we were like, how can we get an qu- extra quarter out of every person that comes in? And the, the question became, if somebody orders a drink, a gin and tonic, as the example I've always used, yeah. you ask them, what kind of gin do they prefer? And so people go from having a well drink, which yeah. may be $5, $5, to a tangerine and tonic, which might be 7 or 8 So instead of a quarter, I've now gotten $3, really incremental pro- profit, because the difference on such a scale is nominal. And that was like sort of like a magic moment for me. So I opened nightclubs in Fort Lauderdale, Orlando, or not Orlando, Chicago, St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Then I moved to Seattle and I had maybe one of the most exciting experiences of my life because I helped open the Experience Music Project, which which is a museum that's now co- turned to Mopop is the name. But it was started oh, by Paul fascinating. Allen, yeah. And who helped found Microsoft. Yeah. And along the way I started out in a position where I was doing events and you know, hospitality stuff just uh, based out of the nightclub. But I met Paul Allen's sister Jody, who was um I think I don't know her exact title, maybe she was the CEO of the operation at the time. She just came to me one day and told me, you're outstanding at selling yourself. I want you to do that for the museum. And that opened the door to understanding how to generate revenue. And it started out with revenue being the, the center idea. And I have to understand the brand that you're working with, the strategy that you need and deliver to your market, uh, marketing and selling. From Seattle, I moved to New York City. I had an opportunity to work on some really high-profile projects like um, the American Express Centurion Card when they were really making a huge push yeah. in the early ninth or early 2000s. I helped create the global distribution chain for tickets for the American Express Centurion Card's concierge program. I worked with Yellowtail and their ad agency on an experiential campaign that helped get Yellowtail 
built into Costco and it helped uh, me, you know, drive like a 700% increase in sales in one year. And it made them like this nationally known, globally known brand that they are today. Yeah. I worked with Coca-Cola on the introduction of Adwala, of the Adwala bar when they acquired it. Sure. I worked with Best Buy on a um, customer acquisition and loyalty program. And then I moved, now I live in D.C., and I worked with a number of nonprofits on how to improve their revenue. I worked on a number of presidential campaigns and Senate campaigns and congressional campaigns. You know, so it's like really, I, and I helped elect the first elected attorney general in the history of the District of Columbia. Uh, so that's like sort of a little bit of the background. So that is like, fascinating, I, and I, you know, it, but but I I like the thread I in that. Sound like a blowhorn, Bruce. <laughs> no, well, I I I think the kind of the diversity of your experience is, um, you know, I'm sure that that helps you in in many many ways, just because it it, it lets you see kind of the bigger patterns and the bigger kind of strategies around uh, revenue and around how how do you build, um, you know. Build businesses and build the sales, and, and a couple of points in the in the intro there that the history that you mentioned that I thought are worth kind of pointing out. I mean, one was the actually the very first thing you mentioned was the idea of how do I get another quarter out of this client. And I think it's something people, many many businesses, often forget um, is that the easiest way to increase revenues is to sell more to your current clients. <laughs> you know? and, exactly right. And yeah. they go, because so many people get caught up with, oh, I've got to go sell more. I need to find more clients. I need to open more geographies. I need to create more products. I need to you know, expand my services. And, and it, is, it is a hard slog to generate more revenue by trying to sell more. If you can figure out how to you know, take the relationships, the insights you have with your existing clients and just figure out how to service them better, service them with more value. And honestly, you know, sometimes it's just, can we increase your price by 5% or even 2%? Because if you can do that, that all drops to the bottom line. I mean, there's, you know, it's, it's a, you know, if you look at, at where you're going to get new revenues, I think that's one of the major things that people forget. Um, the I other one I love. absolutely right. Uh, and I yeah. think also the, the, um, the key there, like you said, is pricing yourself in a way that it's not, you, you know, you're pricing according to the value that you generate. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times people are ha- happy to pay more because you, they probably value you in a way that you don't understand or yeah. recognize. Yeah, no, it's, um, I think one, one thing I've learned it, particularly in a, um, more kind of service-based business where there's it's a little it's a little harder to do kind of comparison shopping and you can't just say all right well there's this product versus the competitor's product and you can kind of do head to head is yeah I, I find people often underprice themselves and, and my general strategy I mean it's just kind of a uh, from a service point of view is when we're looking at particularly the high, higher end kind of professional services is that every contract or every sale increase the price by about 20 to 30% until you get no's. <laughs> you know? Because oftentimes, uh, you know, you end up getting stuck in a, uh, at a price point that's based on, on your kind of mindset or your cost structure or, or what you think the market is, or even what the market is, but what you do is so, so much better or so much more kind of unique or different or niche relative to the market that, you know, oftentimes you find you can do that once or twice. And, and that is just, it's free money. I mean, it's just money that, that drops right to the, the bottom. It's free profit at that point. Let me take this idea, too, about price to another extreme. Yeah. Because I think this is probably going to be helpful knowing what your audience looks like and knowing that they're in a – most of them are in a period of growth. Price is a story that you tell yourself and that your customer tells themselves. And if you are undercharging for yourself – 
then you're telling a story that you don't value yourself property properly. And you're probably telling that same story to your customers and yeah. your target, your prospects without even realizing it. Yeah. So the, so one of the fastest ways to grow your revenue or to get more high profile clients or bigger clients or bigger projects, whatever is to just increase the price because people do believe that they get what they pay for. Yeah. It's funny. I do that. Uh, I mean, I, I won't get into my kind of coaching business and too much, but but one of the reasons, or or, or I, I charge a lot of money, and when clients ask me, like, "Wow, that's a lot of money for you know for the the time that we're spending together. Why did, why is it so much?" And I basically tell them because if you don't pay that much, you're not going to do the work. You that's know? exactly right. That's true. <laughs> I, I, it's, it, it, I it, can it's discount it. To <laughs> yeah, it's totally easy to ignore the cheap. But then you're gonna you're gonna forget to do it. Yes, that's absolutely correct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, interesting. So the other one I. I I mentioned, or that you mentioned there, I thought was interesting, was the yellowtail example, because we talk about that all the time when we're doing kind of strategy review and we're doing, you know, kind of attribute analysis and figuring out how a, a business is going to differentiate itself in the market. And yellowtail was kind of a classic strategy of of looking at the attributes currently in the market and finding a, new, a fairly unique set of attributes that would you know, match well with an underserved market. I mean, I guess when you when you look at kind of this question of strategy and, and you kind of outlining some of the things you look at, w- when you say strategy or when you're talking about strategy, when you're looking at revenue, what what are the elements or what are you looking for in a good strategy? What do you need in a strategy to really drive revenue in the business? I have tried over the years to simplify strategy as much as possible because mm-hmm. I think that in too many cases, the strategic planning effort becomes this long, drawn-out, yeah. slogful thing that creates a report or a PowerPoint presentation or a spreadsheet or something that's completely useless, right? And people don't use it, and then so the strategy is worthless. You might as well have not done it. Yeah. I have found that, that you can usually kind of rethink or reset your strategy or refocus yourself uh, with basically with three ideas. The first one is like, you got to understand what the value is you're trying to bring to the market, whatever that is. Um, you know, it can be tangible and intangible, but you got to figure out what the value is. Right? Yeah. You got to start there. If you don't know what your value is and your value proposition is, you're DOA, dead on arrival, right? The second thing is, is you got to understand who your buyer is, right? I said it this um, recently at a, um, I gave a speech at a bank and I told the bank, I said, look, here's the deal. There's a lot of people who want to meet with you. Your goal is to only meet is only to meet with people who can say yes, not just meet with everybody. Because yeah. most of the time, the only thing they can say is no. So you got to focus on the people who can really say yes to what you're offering. Because if they can't say yes, and I, and I get it, right? People talk about, oh, there's so many decision makers in a, in a purchase now. There's yep. all, all, all these things. I don't know if I buy that, right? Because in, in my situation, I found that maybe there might be one or two people, but that's it. It's not this 15 or 18 or 20 yeah. people. I think it's masked as they're talking to people who can only say no. They can only only do that. So you got to focus on who can really buy, who can say yes, who can move the the project along. Mm-hmm. And then finally, you got to you got to understand how to know how to reach them, right? Which is all marketing. And so if you understand your value, understand who you're trying to reach, and you know how to reach them, um, you can get a long way very quickly. If that makes if that makes sense to you and the audience at all. Yeah, no, it does. Um, I mean, I guess what's it, when you're kind of coming into a situation, working with a client, what is the process that you use, or where where do you, I guess where do you start, or how do you diagnose okay. the situation? No, is, that's a great question. Yeah. I start out by this again. Sound going to sound really basic? I look at I ask you know what's your mission? <laughs> how are you going to know you're successful? What are you trying to do here? Yeah. Because and, and it sounds 
it probably even sounds like I'm being a little bit of a jerk when I say it. Like, <laughs> oh, I sound, I sound like a jerk all the time as a coach. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're on the same page. But really, when you ask that question, it forces people to really clarify what they're trying to achieve. Because a lot of times what you find is the mission is muddled and it's yeah. nobody's fault. Right. It's just you kind of maybe put a committee together to come up with the, the mission or you try to put too much going on. You know, there's just too much and nobody knows exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah. So you got to start with the mission. Right. And uh, I think it was a Peter Drucker idea that said the mission should be able to fit on a T-shirt. Right. Mm. And I see um, after the election in 2016, I don't know if you're at all political, but I did political stuff. Mm-hmm. I went and looked at the Democratic the Democratic Party's mission statement, and it was so muddled and so confusing. <laughs> I was like, no wonder you can't win an election. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, because it doesn't make any sense to anybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, you talk all you want to about popular vote, but it doesn't matter. You lost the election. Yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, well, well this is, you know, this is the key right here is if you don't know what you're trying to achieve and who you're talking to, how is any the people you're talking to going to understand? So we, I really start with the mission, right? Mm-hmm. And then I focus on, you know, who the customer is, right? Because that'll explain, you know, whether or not the value I'm going to bring is really going to be, is going to match up, right? So we'll use, go back to Yellowtail. The ad Yellowtail and their ad agency had looked at this thing and they said an underserved market might be football tailgaters. Yeah. And so they came to me, right? And they were like, we want to think about doing this project where we bring Yellowtail to, uh, I think it was 36 football games, right? College and pros all over the country. Do you think that's crazy? Was the first question. And I was like, no, I don't think it's crazy at all. And then the second question was, how do we do it? And so we, we pulled, like, it was like all over, pulled together these parties, tail, big tailgate parties in 36 cities. And lo and behold, the hypothesis was correct that football tailgaters weren't just attached to beer and brats. They were attached to like gathering and community and getting together. And that was sort of the story that Yellowtail was was telling was that, you know, this is a wine you enjoy with friends. And yeah. Friends are at football games, right? Friends are at barbecues. Friends are at you know, a lot of places. And the story was very compelling and it hit that market. So then that was the value proposition. It's like when you're hanging out with your friends, Yellowtail's the wine you want to drink. Yeah. So, th- so let's dig into that one a little bit because I think it's a good example. And I'd love to hear how, how you kind of define customer. So, um, you know, I get the Football tailgater is kind of the shorthand, but mm-hmm. but unpack that a little bit for us. Like when you're when you're kind of evaluating or, or working with a client on who is their customer, what are the details or what are the attributes or how what do you want to know about the customer that's going to help you in the you know in terms of the, the process that you go through and or helping them with with revenue generation? So I don't want this to sound like a dodge of the question because it's not. Because, <laughs> Yeah, no, but it, it different. It, it differs for every organization. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and I think anybody who tries to tell you there is a one size fits all cookie cutter template to figure out who your target customer is is probably being a little disingenuous, uh, because each situation in each organization is going to be different. Yeah, I do think that there's probably three or four ideas that are very helpful for uncovering who your customer is. Okay. Right. And the first thing is understanding really, it goes back to this, the idea of value, right? Well, what do you think is valuable and unique about what you're giving people, right? It's because you want to make sure that whatever you're offering is something that people are going to appreciate, right? It's, um, it might be because you might find that the audience you think the, are your customers doesn't care, but that at the same time, you might see an oh, entirely different customer base for you. Yeah. So you want to start out by just understanding what you're selling, right? And what, you know, people are going to value. The second thing is by understanding if the value you you find out that you're offering is consistent with the mission that you are 
giving, right? Which is, doesn't matter if it's inconsistent because you can just spin it off, but you just have to understand because what's going to happen is if the mission and the value aren't compatible, you're going to have challenges as far as marketing, uh, pricing, um, communicating your your ideas and your value to your audience. So you just need to, the first, it starts really with value and understanding your customer, right? Because, uh, or, you know, or understanding the mission, I'm sorry, because you want to make sure they're consistent because if not, you can't find the right customer because it's going to, you're going to have an inconsistent message. The second, the third thing you're going to want to look at is you're going to have to look at like the price and the costs, right? Because you might find that it's too expensive to produce something at, you know, at a cost that will reach the market that you start to, that you're focusing on. Got it. Or you might figure out that you may be undercharging. And again, the price point in a lot of cases is very important because it tells a story. It's a signal to the audience you're trying to reach. Yeah. And then the fourth thing is like, can you reach this audience effectively, right? Because just because there's customers there doesn't mean you're going to be able to reach them effectively, right? Is it going to be cost effective to reach this market? Is there enough profit in this market? You need to understand those those four ideas before to help make a good strategic decision, right? Because you can have a ton of customers, you have a really huge audience. I mean, we see a lot of companies that are scaling right now. They're able to reach a lot of people, even reach a lot of people cost effectively, but the value that they're providing is not paying off, paying dividends in the amount of money they're able to generate per customer. So you need to kind of understand those four basics to make sure that your idea is profitable. Yeah, it's a. I think that's a an important point <laughs> that we don't want to. We don't want to kind of scale, you know, scale a business or scale a, a business model or an offering that is not profitable. I mean, we're just going to we're right. going to scale ourselves into problems. <laughs> so. well, well, that's, a, that's a really good point because you yeah. see that a lot now, right? Yeah. Is, um, the customer acquisition costs are extremely high. Yeah. And you can get tons of customers like if you're giving it away. <laughs> or you're yeah, no, exactly. Cheaply, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they're never willing to pay full price, right? I see that with a lot of business models. Like I'm still sort of um, uncertain about the business model of Uber or Lyft because because they, they have been so heavily subsidized for so long. Yeah. You know what happens if somebody is, has to pay full price? Are they still going to be so competitive against taxis, right? Or private cars or whatever it is. I mean, who knows? That's a, it's going to be kind of interesting to find out. Yeah, I had um uh I am based here in New York. I've got a client down in Philly and I have now switched to taking uh lifts down to Philly rather than the train because it's cheaper. <laughs> You know, train is $180 and I can get down there door to door for 192 or something like that. <laughs> but I know that's like not sustainable. I don't know how they're going to, you know, I don't know how they're making money on this thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, and that's not just Lyft and Uber. So, you know, I, I follow the mag, the sports magazine, The Athletic, if anybody's a sports fan, right? Uh-huh. You're giving me a dollar or, you know, uh, for 90 days was one of their, their um, acquisition things. Or you're giving me... 50 or 75% off for the first year. What happens after the first year if I don't go, well, it was great for 20 bucks, but for a hundred bucks, get out of here. I don't want to pay that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess, I guess they figure that that some percentage will stick around or they'll be able to add value to make, or you'll forget to cancel it (laughs) for a couple of months at least. (laughs) Right. Well, sometimes I think that's what they do hope for is they hope that you just forget to cancel because then you're kind of, you're stuck for another year. Yeah. Um, And I I really don't know if that's a good business model to be in. Is that like you're really basically tricking people? Yeah. No, no, it's not a, certainly not sustainable. And, and it's probably, you know, going to lead to a quick demise once the ones that gets around. 
So when you when you're coming to clients, what are are there any telltales for you that they're that they're not working on the right customer? Or they're not working on the right you know value solution to them. I mean, what do you what do you typically see as kind of the challenges or or, or classic problems that that customers have that or clients have around this kind of revenue strategy and, and revenue growth? Well. <laughs> They're, again, again, not to dodge. <laughs> they're all different. <laughs> yeah, they, they are all different. They're, you know, so cool because I don't want anybody listening to go, well, I don't fit this category, this category, this category because yeah. it, it, it's true. What I do see a lot of, though, is I will hear a something similar along the lines of our sales cycles too long, right? So that that'll that'll be a signal. Um, I will hear a signal that usually says something about. Um, our demand isn't right. You know, like we feel like we should be having easier, like more people in our ecosystem or in our sales funnel. That's all, that's a hint. I can also hear usually a lot of talk about we're making a lot of sales, but our still our revenues are low or pricing's not or or our profits not right. Yeah, that's again another signal. You know, it's usually those three. In which point. Most of them come back to what I define as a marketing problem because price is a marketing story, um, you know, sales process is a, is a marketing story in the long run. Uh, every pretty much, I, I I'm obnoxious when I say it, but I mean I, I think most of the th- you know most of the problems we face are are problems of marketing either internally or externally. Yeah, I would agree. How, how do you deal with things like cash flow? Because that's the other one that I find is that they they may be strong on. Revenues and on a project basis, they may have pretty good profitability, but the cash cycle within the project or the engagement or the sale itself, you know, is such that scaling, you know, if we talk about doubling or tripling the business in the next, you know, one, two, three years, that that becomes daunting from a capital requirement and that they're, you know, because they have a, a 60 or a 90 or 120 day lag on when they need to incur the expense versus when they actually get the money in hand. Like, how do I don't know if you've come across this or how you kind of. Yeah, I actually, that's one of the things like when people come to me as consultants or setting up a, a business, that's one of the things they ask me about, right? Because everybody's bought into the 30 or 60 or 90 day uh, payment cycle. And I, and I go, well, why? Again, I'm trying to make I go, why? I, I, yeah. I mean, this is, and this is, I'm sharing this with your audience. Yeah. This is completely true. If you want to ask my clients, they will tell you this is true. They pay me before we start. Yeah. At least 50%. Yeah. And most of the time they don't care. Right. And then after a while, I, I, you know, and this is maybe I shouldn't admit this. After we've been working together for a while, I often forget to bill them until like we were like halfway through the next mm-hmm. period. But when we're starting, I don't start anything until we're, we're until I get some sort of a financial commitment from the, the company I'm going to work with. I think that if you um, I mean, think about it like this. I'll put it as an example. When you go to you're in New York. So uh, Christidis. To go oh, grocery yeah. shopping or, yep. or fairway uh, to go grocery shopping. You don't get to make an omelet and then come back and pay for the omelet, right? <laughs> you you yeah. have to pay for the you pay for the eggs before you leave the store. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing, right? Because uh, Gristini's would not be able to operate if it had all these uh, chits out on uh, waiting for people to make their omelets and then come back and pay for it. Yeah. So it's the same thing. And so I encourage people to not necessarily just use a historical standard for the way they build their customers, but figure out what's fair to them and to the people they're working with. So, uh, let's dig in that just a second, because I think that's a really 
um, I think for service-based businesses, th- this is a conundrum that I think a lot of people struggle with, and, and I have thoughts on it, but I'm curious to get yours. And, and I think it, fundamentally it's because there's there's an uncertainty, right? There's, there's a, as a buyer, I am not sure that this person can really deliver on the value that they claim to be able to deliver. And while I very much want that, and if they can really do what they say they're going to do, that's going to be really, really valuable for me. But I don't know that they can. So I think a lot of this is the way to be able to get sort of payment up front. And, and I do the same thing, right? I get paid before I do anything with a client. But the way to do that is you have to essentially convince them or create some kind of mechanism where they're willing to accept the risk. Any any strategies or thoughts about how you do that? I mean, I think it. I think some of that is around marketing, and then in terms of how you how you tell the story. But are, have you seen any good examples or good strategies for how you sort of de-risk the situation for the buyer? Sure. There's. A, I mean, there's a couple of things I've used, and, and I'm probably going to make a guess about both you and I, um, or you and me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is that we? Um, it's easier for us now because we've been around a while to do that. Right. So, you know, so I don't want people to think that like, oh, my God, you know, Bruce and Dave can do this because they've been around for, you know, 10 or 15 years. Right. They've been doing this for a while. You can start by like, you know, you don't I do half now. Right. Half up front and then half like 45 or 60 days down the road, depending on the customer. Right. You know, and that's one way. Right. So you're paying half up front. I need this to get started, Um, especially if there's like a lot of material costs um, involved or a lot of, uh, you know, subcontractors, things like this, right? A second thing you can do is, and, and so maybe the first step is maybe instead of 50%, you ask for 25%. The thing is, is you just need the cash flow, you know, to keep your business going, yeah. right? You have bills and expenses and the whole thing to pay to keep your business operating. The second thing you can do is offer some sort of um, guarantee, right? Yeah. You know, money back. I, I'll offer, often offer people, I'll say, look, if you're not happy with the effort I'm giving you, then I'll give you your money back, right? Like, I'm going to give you the best work I can give you, right? I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can for you. If you don't think that's true, you know, if you don't think I'm doing, you know, do it, working my ass off for you, uh, you know, I'll give you your money back, yeah. right? You could do that as well, you know, and combined with those two, you know, those two together, that's usually enough. Um, you know, the third thing is, is you can think about a way to lock in a little bit of money up front and then maybe as opposed to um, taking a fuller fee, you take a percentage of the upside, which is a third thing that I do, Yeah, you know, because it's revenue based. I've done, done that a little percentage bit of results. Now, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that, you, that will also say it's also help um, because maybe you just say you're going to pay me a retainer for three months. Right. Like, you know, and we'll just throw out a number like $5,000 a month for three months to get everything set up for 90 days. After 90 days, I, you, you may say, Hey, I'm going to get, you know, 1% of the, increased revenue or whatever, you know, whatever the number is, is, is up to you. And you, you'll know the situation of, your, of the business you're dealing with maybe a little bit better. Um, but that's a third way that you can use to overcome some of this, to get cash flow up front and to also overcome the objection of like, well, you talk great. I think I like the ideas you have, but I'm still unsure. Yeah. And I think that I, think, I like all those strategies because I think they all are, are different ways to kind of address what is the what is the buyer's perceived risk. And I think right. if you can if you can create a structure that de-risks it for the buyer, that that is going to help you overcome, you know, the, that sales decision process. And I think, you know, a lot of this, you know, long sales cycle is essentially you haven't it takes you for whatever reason it's taking you a very long time to prove or, or give it enough evidence to the buyer that you can actually deliver on what you're claiming to deliver. Yeah. And I think if it's you can address it. screwing up. Yeah. Like yeah. Nobody wants to screw up. You, yeah. People think that these uh, professional uh, sales are less emotional than um, 
like consumer purchases and they're not most of the time they're more yeah. emotional right yeah, yeah. you've got your you've got your livelihood on the line yeah i agree it's, um you know so you you are you you have to focus on the emotion and yeah. you know maybe maybe one of the things too that i find is helpful for people as well in the same vein is instead of pricing yourself according to like an hourly rate or some kind of Oh yeah, um, you know, like I, you know, whatever, you know, traditional way of doing it. Focus on the value you create, and that helps also. It over helps overcome the obstacle because you're selling to the person a vision of a better future. That's a good point because I think that, and that's particularly hard for service companies because it's oftentimes really difficult to see the product, see the thing that is being produced because it tends to be an idea or a strategy, and so. It's just so easy to fall into that. Well, how long is it going to take you? Argument, right. and and that is a that that is a poor place to be from a pricing point of view. And if you can stay on the value side, I'll, I'll actually I'll show one thing that I do, uh, kind of related to this, is if if in the beginning of an engagement people are looking at pricing and they're concerned about pricing and they start going into the, um, well, how long or how much is a day? That seems like a lot for a day. I, I basically go to a, a model of saying, hey, you know what? Let's do let's do a free day. I'm going to come in, I'm going to work with you for a day, and and if you get value out of this day, you're going to pay me my my full rate, you know, the rate that we've been talking about, if you feel like it's getting the value out of it. And if you don't, you don't have to pay it. You can walk away, I can walk away, and we can find something else. Because at the we'll end... We'll be friends, yeah. Yeah, because exactly. I, I want to be... I'm, I'm so committed and I'm so focused on sort of the ability to create value and paying for the value that I want to actually give you something in hand. I want to get you to the end of the day and get you sort of decisions and strategy and clarity and priorities such that you're going to be like, wow, this is a steal. Like if we can do this, if every time we meet, this is what I'm going to come out of here with, then this this is, I'm, you know, I'm getting a huge value add. I'm, I'm going to make 10 times what, what I'm paying you because of the work that you're doing. So oftentimes it takes some experience or doing some of the work or seeing is actually going through the process and seeing the value. And I'd rather do that. I'd rather give a day away free every once in a while than be in a position where I'm discounting price or I'm negotiating, you know, rates to try to get someone to buy, but now I'm stuck at at a discounted rate for good potentially years. I, I think it's I think that's great. I mean, because the thing is, is if you, you you're testing the goods, right? It's like yeah. um, you see Tesla, right? You can take, if you buy a Tesla, you can go test drive it for a week and still return it, right? I'm testing the goods. I guarantee you, almost no one takes that Tesla back, right? It's like the same yeah. with you, right? Nobody's going to return Bruce to the lot. They're, they're going to yeah. keep Bruce. Yeah. It's, and it's great. And this discount, you open the discount door. And, I, and there's a real good point that I hope to make. And anybody who is followed, will look at my work after listening to me here or who knows me in general, is probably, this is going to be redundant to them. Never <laughs> discount. Yeah. Because discount destroys your brand. As soon as you open the door on discounting, there's tons and tons of uh, neuro marketing st- studies now that say that for a minimum of at least seven years, you're always going to be viewed as a discount provider yeah. from the day from the day you start discounting. Just don't do it. The way I found to overcome that is either increase the perceived value by adding something that's like really like not expensive for you to create or produce, or by removing value that you're going to give the person because nobody wants you to remove any of the value either. Like, oh, I can give you a discount, but uh, I, you know, um, I'm gonna have to take away this and this, yeah. right? And usually that'll that'll throw them up, or you just go, oh, well, how about this, right? I'll also add, you know three months of phone coaching or something, you know, something completely like it's like, it's going to cost you another hour or two of work on your project, but it's going to help secure um, the yeah, profit yeah, yeah, that yeah. you really need to be. I mean, it's like totally worth it. Well, I think it's, it's yeah, let's, let's, let's really kind of clarify that one or, or recap on that one. Cause I think that's important. Sure. So I think on the one side you're saying, 
if there's pushback on price, figure out how to increase value with, without changing the price. So if someone says, okay, well, it's, it's going to, you know, coaching you is going to cost a dollar and they say, okay, a dollar is a lot of money. I'm really thinking more like 50 cents. I'm saying, okay, well, what if we did, you know, coaching calls once a week to kind of check in and make sure that you're making progress on things. Is it worth a dollar then? They say, oh yeah, then it's worth a dollar. So you're, you're adding service to, to increase the value to the price that you want to be charging. I think the Mm -hmm. flip side is interesting where if I say, okay, well, this is what it costs me for a dollar. If you are really, if really what they're telling you is, you know what, I don't necessarily disagree that you're worth a dollar, it's just I only have 50 cents in my budget, then you would say, oh, okay, well then I can do 50, 50 cents if we take out A, B, and C, and we really just focus on D and E, I can do that for 50 cents. So you're saying Correct. to re, exactly right. reformulate or re, re-scope it so that you're not discounting, you're repricing based on a rescope, but you're not discounting the same work just for less money. That's correct. Yeah. So right. that, that, I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, hope, um, you explained it very well. So that's, that's, that would be absolutely right. Because I think a lot of people get caught in that and they get caught in this kind of, well, you know, it's a dollar, there's nothing I can do. And I think, I think there is, I think, I think you're, and you know, I think you've, you've given people a really good strategy saying, Hey, can you, can you add value in a way that doesn't really increase your costs or minimally increases your costs? Oh, or can yeah. you, can you rescope I- it? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm creating a, for a pro bono project that I'm working on right now, I'm creating a strategy workbook. But you know what that strategy workbook is going to do? That's going to be something that I throw in at points for other clients going forward, right? Yeah. I'm yeah. going to reformulate the strategy workbook first of all, and it's going to be, it's going to secure my, it'll secure my profit margin, right? I mean, it, you know, it's, it doesn't have to be something like super crazy, right? Because if you're smart and you're, if you know what you're doing, right, you're probably creating a lot of IP, right? Bruce has a podcast. I have a podcast. I I, Lord knows I write a, a blog every yeah, day. So exactly. Some are great or some of them aren't great, but <laughs> every day I put it out there. You're probably creating a lot of IP, right? Yeah. So just package that stuff up and it, it creates value, right? Workbooks are awesome, right? Worksheets yeah. are great. These things, um, you know, an interview, you know, coming in and doing a, a free workshop with like um, executive leaders, right? Like, so like, let's say if your buyer's the CEO and you say, hey, look, I'm going to do a one, like an on-site, like half day coaching session or strategy session with yeah. like your executives. Really, that is, that's business development and marketing for you because those people can buy from you as well. Yeah. Right? Well, and, and my, my theory on this, which I, I, I think, <laughs> I, I think is. everybody how to do this. <laughs> well, fine. That's the point here, right? Like help yeah, people out. Exactly right. I, I'm like, look, don't, don't, yeah. don't something crazy yeah here it is don't make it don't make it hard yeah my theory on this is i'd rather i'd rather spend half a day working on your problems and delivering value than spending a half a day trying to sell you right so it's 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 a better use of my time it's more fun for both of us (laughs) you know we're actually generating value i mean look at if it's not a fit it's not a fit i'm not and i I go into it with you know no attachment no expectation that they're going to buy or not buy i just i want to create value and um i find that ends up being a much more you know efficient kind a sales process than you know spending a whole bunch of time trying to you know convince someone abstractly that you know we're going to create value I'd rather just figure out how do I create value how do I create a little bit of value in a short amount of time to prove the process so that they can they can trust it and then we can build up from there so yeah. I mean here's another idea right Makes it sense. may be completely useless or it could be helpful I don't know it's up to up to the listeners but this is something I've been trying recently is I will put together a kind of moderated mastermind group Mm. Um, that meets like once a quarter with like prospects and clients, right? And right now I have one that has six people in it. 
Um, it just started this thing, so I don't know exactly how effective it's going to be and how big it's going to get. But that might be a way to add value too. You're like going, hey, look, and on top of that, our, our, how about I ask, uh, invite you to this mastermind group I do? Yep. And you know, it's it's six to eight people. We meet um, at a restaurant, like you know, I'm going to do it at my friend's restaurant downtown DC. Yep. You know, we have like. You know, we bring some two or three challenges and issues we, we talk about. We have a couple of nice glasses of wine or a couple of bourbons. Everybody kind of talks through these issues in a very relaxed setting, but guided. Um, you know, that's, again, tremendous value that adds yeah. and, and secures like the thing, right? I mean, there's like – there's. I was on a panel recently at a conference, and this guy said, we're really limited in the number of ways that we can generate revenue. And I said – my first reaction was to jump across the, the other the people between me and him and to slap him. But I didn't because I'm a professional. Good, good restraint. Nice. Yeah. And then I said, I, I would all due respect, which, you know, is like Southern for like you, you moron. Yeah. Um, is uh, I, I said, we're only limited in how creative we want to yeah, be. Exactly. And hopefully like the examples I've just laid out help with that, help yeah. show that, right? You can just create this stuff, right? It's, that's the fun thing of having your own business. And yeah. get to skip, especially a service business. It's like you can be creative. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this has been great. We're going to, I'm just looking at time. I realize we've been going for a while. Uh, I love the mastermind idea. It's, it's something I do. I've seen a lot of, uh, anyone that's on that kind of service side, um, it should, should just think about it. It's probably, we could probably do another episode just on mastermind groups, but this has been, it's been fun. I think there was a lot of great takeaways for folks here. I hope, it, I hope they learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, if people want to find out more about you and the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? I would send people first to my website. It's www.davewakeman.com. That's just my name. You can always email me uh, with any ideas, any questions, any thoughts. Tell me I'm crazy. It's fine. It's my name, Dave, at DaveWakeman.com. Uh, you can find me on the LinkedIn and Twitter and all of those things. And if anybody's listening to this that is involved in any way, shape, or form uh, with theater, entertainment, sports business, anything like that that's listening, I do the number one podcast in the world for people in the arts and entertainment and experience business. It's called The Business of Fun. So uh, check that out. It's on like all the major platforms. Um, I think but you can almost find me just about everywhere. And I love to hear from people. So please hit me up. Yeah, I'll encourage everyone to uh, take advantage of that. And I'll make sure that all those links are in the show notes so people can click through. Dave, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for taking the time and uh, being so generous and, and open with uh, your insights and the work that you do. No, it was fun. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.